Welcome to Career Tours. This week, as with last week, we are repeating the cast that was in the Manager Tools feed. Understanding power and how it works in organisations is so important that we want to tell everybody in Career Tours as well as those that listen to Manager Tours. So Mark and Mike will take you through the rest of our guidance on the three types of power and how to use them. Welcome to Manager Tools. The three types of power and one to rule them. Part two. Here we go. This cast answers these questions. What are the three types of power in all organizations? What are the limits and uses of those powers? Which powers are easier or harder to attain? Well, if you want answers to those questions and more, keep listening. Last week, hopefully we convinced people that it's worth thinking about power and understanding what power is. We talked about what power is and the three types of power at a, at a fairly high level. So let's just get to the one that people generally understand, right? Or they think they understand, which is role power. Yeah, typically when people say power, what they mean is role power. And as we said last week, relative amounts of role power. Oh, she has more power than me. That means she has a bigger title. She has more responsibility, a bigger budget, whatever the case might be. And that just shows a misunderstanding about the, the three types of power. But role power is the one that everyone assumes is the big one when, in fact, it's not. And for a couple of reasons, which we'll detail. Let's start with the definition. Role power is the ability to get things done, like all powers are, granted specifically by your organization that comes in the form of rights and responsibilities that the organization grants you associated with your role. You'll notice there are a couple of hints in there that it's not all that in that as we'll get to later, individuals don't control their role power. You can control the amount of power you have to a small degree by how you behave, but you don't control your role power, the organization does. And again, when people talk about getting more power, what they usually mean is getting promoted. And what's funny about that is, I mentioned earlier at the start of the cast about how there are only three and you might find models that have more, but one of the ways that models have more is using the word, using the type of power called legitimate power. And typically in organizations, when people misunderstand, they say, oh, well, we're, he was using his legitimate power. As opposed to his illegitimate power. <laughs> yeah. If a manager punishes or abuses a direct, that's not legitimate power. You think it's legitimate because organizational imprimatur essentially means legitimate, but that's actually not what legitimate power is. Certainly, guys, if you get promoted, in the vast majority, 99.9% .9 of the cases, you do get and then have more power. The work you do, typically, is of higher value to the organization, even if, in some cases, small percentages, maybe single digits, you don't manage others. You can go from being a manager to an individual contributor, and it could still be a promotion, and you could still be have more power. And if nothing else, as a general rule, if you take a change in job that has a significant increase in pay, the internal economy argument would tell you that if you're getting paid more than, than in theory, uh, depending upon how you behave in the role, that role is imbued with more power, more ability to get more things done because it doesn't make sense for an organization to be inefficient relative to compensation and power. That's not to say you couldn't be uh, macro efficient and micro inefficient, that you couldn't have a role that gets paid far more than it should. But generally speaking, that's 
pretty rare. But look, what's at the heart of role power, especially with your first promotion, is what most people think of as power over others. This is why that relative power argument comes into play. You know, oh, he has more people working for him, or he has it, you know, he's higher up on the food chain, so to speak. And it's about how many other people you have more power than. In some cases, a VP from a completely different part of the business can treat people at the individual contributor level as if they had the authority to command them, when in fact, there's some question about whether or not that's true. You'll also notice that I mentioned your first promotion. When it comes to role power, the classic uh, comment is, oh, the hardest promotion is to, to go from being among your friends to now managing your friends. Not only do we disagree with that, we, we, we don't believe it, and we have data to prove it. The toughest promotion is to, go, is to go from being an individual contributor to a manager. Yes, in some cases, that may mean that you take the job that your boss used to have, and so therefore you're managing your friends. And there's a solution for that, guys. And if, you, if, you're, if you're living with that now, we have a podcast for that about managing your former peers. Uh, and it's not hard to do, and it's not hard to do well, but if you look at the number of situations where managers who are friends with their peers get promoted to be the director of those people, we find that those problems are not significant. The biggest, most significant relative role power changes in an organizational life is to go from individual contributor to manager and from C-suite person to CEO. So at the very bottom and at the very top. And again, it's all about relative power over other people. You know, the, the, the idea that, oh, you know, I've always thought that if I got to be a manager, I'm an individual, I want to be a manager, I'll have more power. And then, of course, the, the bloom falls off the rose pretty quickly. People realize, wow, this is way harder than I thought. I can't just get things done. And that feeling I thought I would have of being able to do what I want was actually just a perception problem that he can do more than what I can do if I'm thinking about my boss. But because of the way bosses behave with their subordinates, that once you become the boss, you might be able to do that with your subordinates, but now you start worrying about your boss and your peers and the organization and so on. So that whole feeling of, wow, I have more power than somebody else. Mike and I would both encourage you to be cautious about that. That sense of wanting more power makes it about you. And if you're in an ethical organization or an ethical person, it shouldn't be about you. It should be about the organization. So as a general rule, when it comes to role power, the higher you go in an organization, the greater your power. Because the higher you go, the more ability you have to get things done. You can marshal more people. Generally, you have more resources at your disposal, primarily budget, not more time, but more budget. And in fact, we recently did a cast called Our Executives Managers. And Mike, I was very surprised. I wish I'd have done that cast 10 years ago because I could have written it 10 years ago, but I was very surprised at the number of people who said, wow, that was outstanding. I didn't. Yeah, the response was surprising. Yeah, to as well. surprising. Yeah. But power figures directly in the definition of an executive. In our minds, the most useful definition of executive is somebody with the power to put plans into effect for the entire organization, which, by the way, means that the vast majority of people who call themselves executives are, in fact, not. But as a rule, though, if you think about it in terms of the way people talk in normal conversation, the idea of somebody at the top having more power because they can put things into 
motion that affect the entire organ that affects the entire organization that aligns well with people at the top having more power and being executives. When you think about an organization as a gigantic org chart, if you think of it from an organizational height point of view, that basically gets you to the idea that with more power over more people, you can get more work done. More people on your team can accomplish more work. But, and this is the big thing people don't understand with role power. Role power is surprisingly limited. And I'm sure I'm stealing from later in the show, but an executive who has a great deal of role power, who is neither trusted nor liked, nor has specific expertise that he or she can bring to bear on things, is not only a liability for the organization, but is significantly problematic to morale, retention, and so on. When you look up to your boss, I mentioned this before, you probably see some stuff that he or she does that you can't do. Like, for instance, be late to meetings and act like it's his prerogative. Bosses do that all the time. That's right. That's why, that's why I want power, so I can show up late to meetings. That's, that's yeah, it. what's amazing about that? I still don't understand the lateness thing. Everybody, it, it's like I hate email. It's the ultimate humble brag. You know, I'm so busy doing email that I'm just constantly, I, I hate email, which is essentially a way of saying, you know, lots of people want to talk to me. You know, I'm in demand. Same thing. People show up late to meetings, and they act as if it's somehow... It's their right to do so. I mean, it's disrespectful to the organization. It's disrespectful to the people in the room. It's all about you. It's not about somebody else. And then the other thing that amazes me is I see people texting all the time, standing outside meeting rooms or, or emailing and so on. Why couldn't you 15 minutes ago when you know, when any reasonable person would have known that they were not going to make the meeting on time, why couldn't they have texted somebody and said, I'm sorry, I'm going to be five minutes late? I don't have any problem with people being late. I have a problem with people being late and not communicating it. Unless they're suddenly five minutes before the meeting, certain they're going to get there, and then massively something changes. There's a rift in the space-time continuum, and they can't get to the meeting on time. It's ludicrous. And it's disrespectful to the organization. It's just bad for business. Anyway, other things. Interrupt other people. But then, not like it when she gets interrupted. I love that one. Or... The ability to just kill an idea casually that somebody else has been working on for months. Those are examples of role power, but frankly, those examples are pretty small beer, right? But think about the big things that you think of that you could do as a manager. If you're an industry contributor now and you're thinking about becoming a manager or manager to director, the two that you would think make a big difference, the ability to hire and fire people. In the common vernacular, managers have the right to hire and fire people. But actually, you don't. You don't have the authority to hire and fire people. The vast majority of managers that I know cannot hire somebody of their own accord, on their own, without any approval, without any okay. You don't have that authority. Even when somebody quits who is a critical player or we fire somebody, and they were in a role that was important to us. Even when the day before today, we were paying somebody for work that we valued, which surely would imply some necessity to the organization, we still, today, can't just magically hire somebody. We can't. We have to get approval, sometimes from our boss or even our boss's boss, maybe also human resources. And during a hiring freeze, almost nobody can Often, we have to open a requisition 
If you've never heard it before, folks, the shorthand is open rec, meaning open requisition. Uh, you actually have to apply to hire somebody who the day before you had somebody in that job. For anybody who's been managing for a while, this is not a surprise. For those who have not managed before, sometimes it's it's a complete shocker. Like, what do you mean you can't do all that? Yeah, and when I was going over this um, cast with somebody the other day, a, a manager, I mentioned this. Is yeah, yeah, I know that. I said, yeah, but do you not still hold inside yourself the idea that you didn't realize how little power you had when you would become a manager, but you're still hoping at some point that you will finally get that power? In fact, no, you won't. I mean, yeah, if you're a very senior executive, you can hire whoever you want. What that probably means is there's a great deal of scrambling going on behind the scenes to allow you to do that. So an open requisition gives you the hypothetically the ability to hire, and it also alerts HR and finance to the coming change that you're implying will happen in terms of uh, headcount and, and budgetary impact. In many firms, even if you do get an open rec, you still can't just hire anybody you want. HR wants to interview them, and they may not say it. They think of themselves as being helpful. They consider themselves to have a veto power over your choice. Or they certainly think they can talk you out of a bad hire. And what about firing people? No, you can't do that peremptorily either. HR has concerns about following procedures, many of them valid because managers, God, left to their own accord, there'd be all kinds of more wrongful termination lawsuits. Some of their procedures are not valid. Even in the case where an employee's actions violate a clause which is communicated to lead to immediate termination, Termination is almost never immediate, nor is it achieved a cappella. I mean, there's, there's people involved, meaning you don't have the authority to do it on your own. Look, many managers are forbidden by their own boss from scheduling a bloody half-hour meeting once a week with their directs. We get those emails once a month. Imagine being a manager, uh, a manager tool's kind of manager, wants to do one-on-ones with your directs, and your director is forbidding you managing, trying to self-manage or trying to micromanage the application of 1% of your time with one of your directs, okay? I know a manager who was forbidden from traveling to see his directs, not forbidden from expensing the travel, mind you, But even just getting in his car, his own car, and driving to see his directs in the suburbs of the large city where his office was downtown, no cost to the organization, forbidden from doing it. You don't need to be that close to your people. Why would you need to do that? You're here to support me. I mean, you work for a guy like that. You have a lot less role power in terms of what you could do in your role because of how your boss is managing you than most people think goes with the higher level job. Now all these individual contributors who are listening are going like, ah, maybe, maybe I don't want to get promoted. Forget this. Yeah. Well, here's the key. You shouldn't want to get promoted. That's the result. What you should want is to deliver results. And you want to find an organization where you can deliver results that are aligned with who you are that also rewards you for that. But what people have done is conflate all those things and say, I want to get promoted because that's the way that other people will know that I'm being successful. Well, guys, if you're always worried about the external validation of what you're doing so that other people will know your self-worth is being put in the hands of other people, 
And that's great until the other person whom your self-worth is invested in has power over you and is unethical or not to be respected, and he fires you or he treats you poorly or whatever. What you should be wanting is to deliver results. And you know what, guys? In the world, you can do great things and not be rewarded. And so what we need, to, what we all need to learn to do, I've started to learn it, is to be happy that you've delivered a good thing. Now, in, in the internal economy of your organization, you might say, well, Mark, I did a good thing. I felt I did a good thing. And in fact, in the internal economy of my company, based on my boss, bosses actually distort internal economies in their immediate area. My boss didn't reward me for it. And I didn't get the kind of improvement in my situation that I might have liked. Great. Go somewhere else. But the idea that you should be able to do what you want, feel good about it, and then by definition, therefore, you should be rewarded is ludicrous because it's not about you. It's about the organization, and the organization is about the society it serves. Unfortunately, managers, bosses distort the economy in ways that may be detrimental to us. So maybe you could find a different boss or find a different organization. Look, let's continue on the, I, this, this vein of attenuation, if you will. Most individual contributors think of a manager as having some ability to compel their directs to do something. But managers can't actually compel things in terms of forcing people. They can't force you. In fact, if they want you to leave the building, they can't force you to do that. They'd have to, in the U.S. code, it would be called assault and battery. They might have to get security involved. What they can do, what managers can do, is threaten consequences. But that only works if the consequences address areas of value for the direct. What about the union employee who knows he can't be fired? How much role power does his manager have? I mean, technically, if, if he's a manager, he has some role power, right? Well, can't fire, can't hire. Yeah, how much role power do you have? And suddenly, most of you, most of you listening right now are thinking, oh, well, what you would do is build a good relationship with those people and encourage them. Yeah, but that's not role power. You could do that with peers. You could do that even with your boss. That's the third one. That's relationship power. Role power, simply, when you get right down into the detail, may be coveted, but it isn't all that most people make it out to be, other than in our dreams of glory. And look, keep in mind, having more power doesn't necessarily mean you're more effective. If you have more power, say, as an executive and you choose to do the wrong things, and by wrong I mean things that don't deliver value for the organization, you've used your power poorly. Or as the, as the movie line might go, you have used your power poorly. Effectiveness isn't just about the ability to wield power, but about using your power to get the right things done. So getting more done then isn't always good for the organization. Good lies in results for the organization or that feed to that, not in power. So, to some degree, be careful what you wish for, if what you wish for is power. You know, the thing to do, the alternative is to wish for effectiveness, which, as we'll talk about, is available to all of us. Because power, remember, is just the ability to get stuff done. Well, the other thing I, I guess that's pretty important about role power is you can't control it by yourself. You can't change it. 
you need somebody else to grant it to you, right? Yeah, the role, role power is always controlled by the organization. You cannot change your own role power. It's in the rights and responsibility. Role power is in the rights and responsibilities granted to you by the organization. And when many folks hear me talk about role power, they roll their eyes at this particular characteristic of role power. But it's an important one because to pursue the type of power which you are least able to influence of the three without previously having thought about one strategy is misguided. Role power is completely outside of your control. You can influence it, but it's not within your control. Expertise power, relationship power, you can actually have a significant impact on those. You can't with role power. So while role power may be that power which you most desire, and again, we've argued, I think we're hinting it here that we would argue that it may be a misplaced desire, it's that which you can least affect. Only relationship power is under your direct control. Although those of you longtime listeners know one of Horseman's laws is control is an illusion. Expertise power is at least largely determined by things under your control or the factors that bestow it are clear and relatively unbiased. You have a degree from MIT or Caltech. That's expertise power. Okay. A long history, a resume of accomplishments you've already accomplished that show you have expertise. High performance is a form of expertise. Compare your ability to learn what is required to get a master's degree, which is set out in books, by the way. Compare that with what you know of the process and people who make decisions about who is going to get promoted in your firm. When it happens, who decides, how they evaluate, what data they look at, how long in advance have they been considering it. All right. Not only the process, but just the probability of success. Like how 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 good are you at predicting success? And yeah, well, well, we don't even have to go that far, right? Right now, ninety five percent of the people listening to this cast are saying, "Yeah, I don't know." A lot of people say, "I need to impress my boss to get promoted." Actually, no, your boss doesn't decide who gets promoted. Now, I, I'm not saying that everyone who says I need to impress my boss means this, but most people say, I need to impress my boss. And they think that means that their boss decides. But of course, organizationally, theory-wise, you can't have people having authority to promote somebody to their level. That authority happens at a higher level than your boss. The lever you have is achieving results, which usually impress your boss, all things being equal, which of course they never are. And then the next step is your boss then has to persuade other people of your value. This is why there are so many people who are successful on paper in terms of achieving their results who don't get promoted. Uh, and, it, and it's a shame in many cases because they missed out on the incredible emotional, political, non-rational reasons for why people get promoted. So- Role power is not up to you. And again, you might think I, I have a lot of input, and you'd be right. But that's true of each of the three powers. You have a lot of input on relationship power. You have a lot of input on ex expertise power. And then you might say, well, at least it's not totally capricious, right? The choosing of who has more role power is not totally capricious. And I would say that's true also. 
But that's true of all the types of powers. The more you work at increasing any of the powers, all things being equal, which they never are, the more you will increase them, all of them. But that doesn't change the fact that the most inefficient, most capricious, and least transparent of the paths to power is role power. I've alluded to this before. The highly effective person who works for an unsupportive or jealous boss gains role power much less easily than the high but maybe not top performer who works for a well-connected, politically smart boss. Now, you might say, oh, well, you know, that's just not right. <laughs> Welcome to the human race, bub. Yeah. If wishes were horses, beggars would ride. Now, look, don't get us wrong, guys. We're not against you wanting more rule power. If you're listening to this show, if you listen to more than five or ten of these shows, then I think the manager tool's way, which is ethical and caring and, and also results-oriented, appeals to you. There are plenty of people who start listening and say, no, it's not devious enough. It's not Machiavellian enough. Mark and Mike are naive. They're innocent, whatever. Yeah, okay, fine. Build your own podcast and get a couple million listeners every month. So if you're still listening, I want you to have more power. I believe you'll wield that power successfully. I love the idea of more effective ethical professionals gaining more role power over time. But that's different from all of us thinking that role power is the most important power. It's the most visible, surely. It's in some ways the most rewarded if your reward structure is outside of you. Gaining more role power is only one way to gain more ability to serve the organization and its mission. It's one that puts your ability to do so completely in the hands of other people. And this is where we get in trouble. And it's so unscientific that I'm not surprised that we're in trouble. <laughs> uh, if we had to put a number on it, manager tools would say that role power alone is only 15% of your ability to get things done in an organization. 15%. Harsh. But true. That's, I, I don't, we've been doing this a long time. That seems yeah. a pretty accurate number to me. Keep in mind something else about role power. It's something that's often missed when folks think about getting promoted. Role power can change without a change in role. Now, look, we're not saying you can change it. We've already shown that. If you are doing more work, you are showing you have more power, because that's what power is, which can cause the organization to give you more power even than you already have by expanding your role. Sometimes this happens after layoffs. Hey, no change in pay, but we're double, doubling your role power. <laughs> so, as you pursue more role power, remember that you can do it first without turning your, the, the ownership of your title over to the organization. Deliver more results where you are. That's the biggest factor in a promotion anyway. Another way you could think of role power changing without a change in role is, like I mentioned, in reorganization. You have the same role, but with less people, you end up with more or at least different power. So the point here is be careful of associating role power changes exclusively with a higher level title. It just isn't so. So look, before we go on to expertise power, folks, this is not a diatribe against you having more role power. Again, if you're an effective ethical professional, I want you to have more role power in your organization. I want you to have a bigger influence on the outcome, the service that your organization provides to society. But 
if that's the thing that comes to your mind soonest in terms of a successful career, we just urge some caution on that. I don't believe that a climb up the ladder with an increasingly sense of hollowness inside is the way to go. And I know far too many middle managers who spent the first 10 years of their career getting promoted several times, and then for whatever reason, they've gotten stopped. And in those 10 years, they bought in so completely to the idea that role power, uh, increasing role power was in fact the definition of success, that now that they've stalled, which may be normal in their organization, or it may be a function of the industry, or it may be a function of the economy, it could be anything, now they feel unsuccessful. What's more, they start working even harder, which, to, which is to say longer. And then suddenly their lack of success is hurting their family. We see it happen in middle managers. The classic example is the middle manager who doesn't know how to delegate because she doesn't delegate or he doesn't delegate uh, because they think they need to prove to their boss that they can do everything themselves so they can get another promotion in order to keep up the mentality that they're being successful. And the people who suffer are the spouse and the kids. And as a general rule, we don't want to put our risk in our most important place. And surely everyone would agree that family is most important. That's right. Well, look at that. In my experience, the this is a kind of a cause and effect priority order in terms of where you want to focus your your efforts. Let's say, let's say we're, we've already suggested that it's probably, we'd recommend you not focus on role power as your objective and rather focus on effectiveness. Let's say it still was, right? We can't convince you not to do that. Then if you wanted more role power, if you want to get promoted, we already described you can't control it. Well, you can influence expertise power and you can influence relationship power. And in my experience, those who have expertise power, i.e. they understand the organization, the role of the organization, they understand how the different parts work. They certainly have expertise about their own area, for example, sales and marketing. They're good at their job. They have expertise power there. And they've learned and developed relationship power, not only within their organization, but across the organization. Those are the folks most likely to get role power, right? It's, yeah. That's, that's the order in which to attack it. Yeah. So therefore, make your goal those things and then be happy when you get the outcome. Now, if you're in a place where when you get more of the things you want, the organization rewards you, then this is a place that's aligned with your goals, your methods, your point of view. That's a good place for you. If you do the things you want to do and you don't get rewarded, that may not be a place for you. And it's okay to, to recognize, gosh, I mean, if you made this decision in your career when you were 22 and you're now 30, surely you're like Mike and I, and you look back on yourself at 22 when you're 30 and go, oh my God, I didn't know anything. And so it, it could be that you're just not in the right place. So look, role power is important. Uh, there's a lot of focus on it. It's easy to focus on. But folks, the, the same thing's true in government. In the US, we have three branches of government and the legislative branch, believe it or not, is considered first among equals. Everything starts the legislative branch. But the focus is on the executive branch. And part of the reason why is because of TV, because there's very little drama in showing five, 435 people or 100 people. It doesn't make for good TV. And generally speaking, the executive actually has less power even though they're co-equal branches, than the legislative branch in the long run if you're a nation of laws. So there's a focus on the executive. But in fact, the real game is elsewhere. 
Same thing's true with roll power. There's a focus on roll power, but the real game is elsewhere. That's probably uh, surprising to uh, many folks who get elected to be the president of the United States, for example. They go like, oh, I thought I had, I would have yeah. a lot more power than I do. Ah, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing ex-presidents say when they get out of the job is, thank God that's done. <laughs> Same thing true with CEO. Okay. We'll finish up uh, this next week and we'll talk about expertise power, relationship power. And we've hinted at that's where to spend your time. So we'll get more into it next week. Good. Thanks, partner. All right, my friend. So long. Thanks, everyone. We'll continue with this series next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long. 